Good morning. Welcome to Rabbi on the Sidelines. I'm Rabbi Eris Sherman, live from Los Angeles at Sinai Temple. Hope everybody's doing well out there. We are here to speak about the intersection between sports and faith, where we interview figures in the sports world from around the world in different sports to hear about the inspiring stories and journeys that we don't hear or see on TV we are joined this morning by my special guest, all the way from the Holy Land, the land of Israel, from Benot Ashdod, living in Bat Yam. Um, we are joined by Chelsea Hopkins. Good morning, Chelsea. How are you doing today? Hi, how's it going? I'm doing great. Great. Uh, so first of all, how's it going in Israel with the uh, pandemic? Um, just tell us what's going on there. Well, we're currently experiencing a shutdown, so um, you're not supposed to go with you know, you're not supposed to go farther than a five mile radius from your house. Um, but, you know, being a professional athlete, if you're a first division athlete, um, you know, the show goes on. So they're allowing us to <laughs> practice and they're allowing us to play. So we do have like some type of special government document that says that we can travel beyond the five mile radius. We are allowed to practice. Um, we are allowed to participate in games with absolutely no fans. Um, and they're trying to, you know, get our get our season to roll on here. So. So let's go back to your journey. We actually haven't met in person, but we've been connected via social media, through Israel, through sports. Um, let's go back to where you're from. I believe in Las Vegas. And growing up, I uh, saw a beautiful YouTube interview from your days in San Diego State by your dad being a basketball coach. Um, what did that mean in terms of your dad being a basketball coach? Was it forced upon you? Was it something that you had to get out on the court all day? How did it become your own love that it's something that you wanted to do with your life? Well, I've kind of you know, always been a daddy's girl. Uh, my dad was a coach in Las Vegas for 20 plus years. He was the first black coach to win a state championship. Um, so I kind of just, you know, was brought up in the game, always kind of following him around in the gym at a very young age, um, just kind of imitating what I saw, you know, his players do. And I just kind of fell in love with it that way. Like I've been in the gym since I can remember. And I think that's kind of where it started. He never, he definitely didn't force me, but I was kind of always running behind him. So it just made sense that I was going to play basketball no matter what. And then what does that look like, you know, playing basketball with your dad and community leagues and elementary, middle school? When is, is there a point that you get to that you realize, you know what, I have a talent that can take me beyond just, you know, where everybody else is. What, was there a point in your life that you realized, wow, I'm good. I can take this to the next level. Uh, well, I actually, growing up too, besides playing basketball, I was heavy into soccer. Mm. So I was, I thought I was really good at both, um, you know, just, you know, performing on my AU teams and such. And when I got to high school, I actually had to make the decision to play either basketball or soccer um, because they're the same season in Vegas. So you really mm -hmm. can't. Um, so that's kind of when I decided, okay, you know, I'm going to go with my first love, which is basketball. And just, I had, you know, interest even in high school from, you know, Bishop Gorman, which is actually our top private school that, you know, kind of wanted me to play there. And I was like, wow, like, you know, people want me to play for their team. So, you know, I must be kind of doing pretty good. So uh, <laughs> it's funny, though, because my dad being the crazy guy that he is, he was coaching at uh, Mojave High School at the time. And he was like, no, I don't care if people want you like you're going wherever I go, wherever I'm coaching. That's where you're going to be playing. And you're going to be by my side like you have been since you were, you know, um, a baby. So mm -hmm. I go to Mojave High School. My dad's the varsity men's basketball coach. Um, playing on varsity as a freshman, um, doing well. And um, I actually was playing AU uh, for a small Vegas team because my dad's very old school. So besides being recruited, you know, to go to different high schools, I actually had some interest to, on the AU circuit, which I don't know if your followers know what that is, but that's like travel ball where you play in the yep. summer, and you know, yep. you get to travel around. 
And my dad was like uh, just heavily against me, you know, going to another uh, state to play basketball or do any of that kind of stuff in the summer. But uh, my best friend was playing for a team in California at the time. And she basically had to beg my dad to to let me go and, you know, play with her. Like, hey, we're best friends. We have to stay together like we've been doing. And, you know, and the, the team kind of recruited me. So that's kind of really when I opened my eyes to the fact that, like, wow, like I could really do something with basketball. I, I went from that small Vegas team in which I had, you know, interest from, you know, UNLV, you know, Division One schools, but just, you know, schools that were in, you know, in the area. And I played one summer on this California team. And next thing you know, Duke is recruiting me and Texas is recruiting me and, you know, North Carolina and Cal and USC and all these schools that I, you know, couldn't even really imagine were, were showing just so much interest just because I was playing on a national stage with other super talented players. And that's when it kind of became a reality. Like, wow, like I'm going to go to college and, you know, play ball. And what is that journey to Duke? Obviously you said daddy's girl stayed home in Vegas. All of a sudden you're traveling across the country. I mean, Duke at the great level, obviously on the men's side with coach K and the woman's side, an amazing program. Um, when you stepped on that campus into Cameron Indoor Stadium, what does that what does that feel like? What does that look like? And uh, what's the highlight from those two years you had at Duke? I mean, it was super surreal. And you know, one thing about my dad and my parents, um, I was very academic. So in high school, I was salutatorian. I was second in my class. Um, so when I got the opportunity to go to Duke at the time, they were the number three women's basketball program. Mm-hmm. Um, it was basically the best of both worlds. Like, wow, I'm going to play high level basketball. I'm going to get a top notch education. Like, how can I turn this down? Even though I had other schools that were close by, I just felt like, hey, it's time to grow up a little bit. Not everybody gets this opportunity. So, you know, you kind of have to jump on it and take it. And so you go two years at Duke, number three in the country, and then you go to San Diego State, obviously back to sort of the West Coast. I read that you were looking for that business degree. That's got to be a hard decision to go back and leave the number three uh basketball school in the country because they don't have a business program. Take us through that journey when you're flying back West. Yeah, it wasn't not so much um, because actually Duke has a business school, but you're right. They don't have a business like undergrad. Um, Mm -hmm. But for me, it was more so just injuries and being super far away from home. Like I said, I was, I was close to my family. Um, I had a great start at Duke. Uh, My first 10 games, just as a freshman, I'm probably a six man. I'm coming off the bench. I'm playing, you know, 17 minutes a game. I'm playing behind Jasmine Thomas, who's a great point guard for, uh, the Connecticut Sun in the WNBA as we speak. Um, I'm playing behind her. I'm doing really well. And uh, just, I think I remember it like it was yesterday, uh, 10 games into the season, we're um, playing on the road at Western Kentucky and um, jumped up for a rebound. I landed awkwardly and I tore my meniscus. Mm. So that was the start of my snowball of injuries. So I came back two months later. This is my freshman year, far away from home, never been hurt before, never had surgery, did all that kind of stuff without my family, you know, being mm-hmm. there with me. Mm-hmm. And my teammates were super supportive. Don't get me wrong, but you know, it's nothing like having your mom or your dad, you know, when you're going through something difficult. Um, so I came back and, you know, I'm, I'm playing at the end of the season and not quite myself, not really, you know, messing things up, but you know, just kind of out there, kind of making the teams even, you know, not doing great, not doing bad, just kind of like whatever. And um, I was just really excited to finish the season. Cause I'm like, wow, like, you know, um, I, I had an injury, you know, now I can use this summer to, get strong, get healthy, start over, come back, have a great sophomore season. And basically the rule is at Duke, uh, when you're a freshman, you get to go home for the whole summer. So I was really looking forward to that. Um, But if you have an injury, then you have to check out basically with the doctor uh, before you're released to go home. So this is like three days before I'm supposed to go to Vegas for the entire summer. And I have all these plans to just be great and come back. And 
I meet the doctor and she's like, your meniscus is still torn. She was oh, like, wow. so you can go home for two weeks and then you can come back and have surgery and you can spend the summer with us and then get healthy and, you know, hopefully play again. So for me, I'm like totally bummed out, um, you know, because all these summer plans I had of just getting better and getting healthy kind of were derailed. So I come back to Duke. It's the beginning of my sophomore year after spending the summer there and having a second surgery. So that's two surgeries in wow. a six month period. That's a lot. Yeah. So have the surgery, come back. We're at the start of my sophomore season. And I was just telling my coach, like, yo, like, I don't really feel right. Like, you know, something's up with my knees. Like, I don't feel strong. I don't really feel healthy. And um, she was like, hey, you know, it's just meniscus. Like, you should, it's not ACL. You should be bouncing back from this. But obviously I had a problem because I did it two times in a five-month period. So very Mm -hmm. short time frame, I did the same thing. And um, just me and the coach kind of butt heads after that. I think she took offense to the fact that I actually asked her to redshirt. Like, hey, like, I don't just waste time here. Like I want to play. I, I feel like I'm good. I'm here to play basketball. Like, but I don't want to play if I'm not healthy, if that makes right. sense. So yep. we kind of butted heads after that. I spent my whole sophomore season because season was starting. So it wasn't, I couldn't really just up and transfer at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're in preseason and we're training to get ready to go. And I spent my whole sophomore season pretty much just on the bench playing garbage wow. time, if playing at all. And so at the end of my sophomore year, it was kind of easy decision for me. Like, look, I battled all these injuries. Clearly me and the coach aren't seeing eye to eye anymore. They're a top school. They have recruits constantly coming in. And the coach is saying that, hey, you know, if we had you come in, now we have another great point guard, you know, coming yeah, in. as yeah. And so for me, the decision was just easy to, to leave. You know, at the time they had that that penalty rule of if you transfer, you have to sit, you have out. sit out a year. Yep, so exactly. I need to sit out because I don't want to, if I'm going to play basketball, like I want to be good. And right now mm-hmm. I don't have the body to, to really be good. So um, it was interesting. We actually played San Diego state in the elite oh, wow. that year or the sweet 16, one of them. And I didn't play. We ended up beating them by like eight and we're slapping hands and we're going down, you know, the line. And the coach was like, uh, the coach is Beth Burns at the time. She was like, mm-hmm. Hey, you know, I have a spot for you. Like whenever you're ready. And I'm thinking like, Okay, first, I don't think a coach is supposed to be saying that to you. One, yeah. <laughs> like, no, I'm not going to San Diego State. Like, you know, whatever. Like, I'm at Duke, you know, right. kind of thinking I'm high and mighty or whatever. And, you know, the next thing you know, I reopened my recruitment and I'm like, I got to get home. And mm-hmm. I didn't even really take a, a I, t- I went to San Diego State for like a day and I still had, you know, some top notch schools that were pursuing me. But I just said, I want to be close to my mom. I want to be close to my dad. I want to be. You know, I need family at this point more than I need, you know, to be at a big time school. And right. I went to San Diego State for a day and I just committed. And that's, that's kind awesome. of what things took off for me. So you talked about um, just before we were on the air, athletes in action. And I asked him about your different faith. And you said that while you were in college, you joined this athletes in action, which I believe is a Christian group of Bible study. You don't really hear about that on the news, about athletes studying Bible together and looking at the scriptures. Uh, take us through that journey? Did it start at Duke? Was it in San Diego State? Was it because of the Christian background that you grew up with? Was it because of perhaps some of the challenges that you faced, both in health and sort of the emotional aspect of going through all that? What was your initial um, entry into Athletes in Action? And did it translate onto the court at all in terms of that faith in sports? Yeah, actually, when I was at Duke, I had really good seniors, um, two of them that I'm still close to with this day, Joy Cheek and Bridget Mitchell. And they were, you know, the kind of ones that put me onto Bible study. We had the, the football chaplain who was running a small Bible study section with the athletes. And so I was kind of involved there at Duke. And when I got to San Diego State and somebody introduced me to Athletes in Action, it was kind of just a no brainer to join. Um, 
you know, I was still learning about myself, learning about, you know, being a Christian, you know, growing up as a Christian. Uh, sometimes you're just doing it because, you know, your family wants you to. So I feel like when I got okay, it's the same in the Jewish community, right? <laughs> you know, I, I believed in God and, and I knew there was a higher power. And I know that, you know, I have somebody that's always watching over for me, but I don't really feel like I got into it until I was at San Diego State. And now I'm constantly going to Bible study. I'm around other athletes that are just like me. I've, I've had all kinds of hardship and adversity, even going to San Diego State and getting completely healthy. I actually tore my meniscus again. Oh my gosh. So I had uh, three meniscus tears in a two and a half year period. So even transferring, getting healthy, going to San Diego State, being the girl from Duke, I ended up getting hurt again. So my faith at times was really, you know, all I had. I didn't really know, like, is basketball for me anymore? Like, it's stuff I would have to pray and talk to God about and even be mad with God. Like, why me? Like, why, why do you keep doing this? Are you trying to tell me, like, basketball is over or? Mm. Or, or what? Like I need a sign. So I'm, you know, reading my Bible study and listening to the, you know, listening to, I actually joined a church in San Diego State, the Rock Church. Um, they used to actually hold that church at San Diego State like early on, but then they ended up having their own, um, uh, their own church, like breaking away. Um, so I kind of just, you know, got into the word and got into my faith and that's kind of just, I don't know where I would be, you know, if, if those things didn't happen. So, so you don't hear a lot about that. Is that happening under the scenes in terms of student athletes really connecting with their faith? Is it something that's not necessarily brought out in the media because it's not necessarily the cool thing to do? Um, or is there, I mean, it seems like there's moments, look, only five people get to be on the court at one time. There's lots of people transferring, as you said, different challenges. You know, people are the best in high school. They get to college. They're not the best or the sixth, seventh, eighth person. Um, yeah. How much of faith is happening on those it, on the courts, in the locker rooms, and uh, just within the team? Well, at San Diego State, it was huge for us. Like, I would say, you know, a good portion of our team, maybe there's 13 people on scholarship, and, like, at one point in time, like, seven of us are going to Athletes in Action. Like, our whole team was pretty much immersed in it. And the cool thing about Athletes in Action is it's from different sports. So we would have football guys in there. We would have couple basketball guys in there. You know, but our team definitely had a heavy, heavy presence. And um, I think that kind of – you know, in, in a small sense for me, I feel like that contributed to our, some of our success. Like we were able to lean on each other, pray with each other, you know, fight through adversity when it hit. And um, I think a lot of people could use, um, you know, groups like that. And I don't know how accessible it was to other people, but I know mm-hmm. for me personally that um, I, I, I couldn't have done without it. So we talked about the Christian faith, obviously, athletes in action. What did you know about the Jewish community growing up in Vegas um, to Duke, to San Diego State? Was it just something that, like, was sort of outside your realm? Did you know anybody who was Jewish growing up? What did that look like? I don't think I knew anybody that was Jewish growing up. But, you know, I knew Daniel Diamant, who actually is – who connected me and you um, – we and her played together at a young age. I think we for those of you who don't know, that's Jerry Tartanian's granddaughter also, but she has her own credibility in the basketball world as well. <laughs> but I don't think I knew Danny was probably Jewish until she became a citizen in Israel and got a passport and, you know, kind of later on in our, in our lives or whatever. But just growing up, I knew the Jewish community had a lot of similarities to, you know, Christianity put it that way. So I knew that, you know, there was some type of, you know, connection there, but I don't really think I knew too much about it. Like I've been learning so much about um, just being in Israel, just learning about, you know, Jewish faith and going to Shabbat dinners and all kinds of different things. I think as a kid, I just knew like, Hey, aren't, don't the Jewish people wear the kippahs on top of their head? Like, that's, I, I think that's probably 
all that I knew at the time, but I've been learning more just several years here in Israel. So let's go to graduating San Diego State. Lots of different options as a great basketball player. I know some stints in the WNBA, replacement player, 10-day contracts, et cetera. Europe has amazing basketball professionally for the women's game. How do you land up in Israel? Is it through an agent you knew about Israel? What, what was the initial entry there that uh, puts you in Ben-Gurion Airport in Tel Aviv and says, oh, my gosh, I'm in this country that I thought was all war-torn. What's this about? Yeah, so coming out of San Diego State, I wasn't drafted, um, but I got picked up. Uh, my coach actually set me up with an agent at the time, um, me and my other teammate. Um, I got picked up uh, by San Antonio, so that kind of kicked off my um, professional career. Um, I was with them for like maybe a month at the end of the season. They had somebody get hurt or whatever. Um, but needless to say, my agent was just super big on Israel. She was like, hey, this is a great place to start. And mm-hmm. let me tell you why. You know, everybody speaks English. The food is good. You'll be near other Americans. You've never been overseas before. So I want to put you in an environment where you can feel comfortable. And I think that that's going to kind of translate to to how you play and how you perform. Um, so that's kind of it. She was like, I'm going to get you to Israel. Everybody loves it there. This is a great place to start your career. And, you know, next thing I know, I signed with Herzliya and I was, you know, coming from my little 30 days with the San Antonio Superstars and I'm starting my, you know, my rookie season over here. So in your early twenties, you land at Ben-Gurion airport. What's that initial reaction when you look at the plane and you're like, oh my gosh, this is Israel. What was that like? You know, I really expected Israel to just all look like Jerusalem. So, you know, brick <laughs> everywhere. Like, I don't know. Like, I really was thinking, like, dang, Israel is going to be, like, straight out the Bible. Like, you know, <laughs> things aren't going to really look super modern. Like, I don't really know what I, I thought. But then, like, you know, once you finally get, you know, I, I get to the airport. I, I get outside. We're, we're driving from Ben Gurion Airport to Herzliya, which is, you know, 50 minutes away. I'm driving through Tel Aviv and I'm like, this is normal. They have normal buildings and normal, you know, um, everything looks, you know, pretty normal and modern. So I guess that was the first thing that kind of like, you know, took me off guard. But um, yeah, I guess I really didn't know what to expect. And did you, what was your parents' reaction in terms of, oh my gosh, no, you can't go there or yes, go there. Have they been there? Um, what's been their reaction? So to I had never been here um, initially when I first started my career. And, you know, I think they had some, you know, reservations certainly about me coming, um, you know, as an American, if you've never been to Israel and you like watch CNN, then you think like, Oh, Middle East, like bombs and rockets are being, you know, shot all over the place and it's not safe there. And, you know, you, they think, you know, about ISIS and terrorists and all these different kinds of things. And they know about the, you know, the Palestinian conflict that you guys are like in a war every day, but um, it's really not like that. So I told my parents like, Hey, I know you guys are sad and worried, but I'm going because I'm about to play basketball. So this is what we're going to do. And, you know, I finally got their blessing and now my mom loves Israel. I've been here for eight years and my mom has been here for six, literally every year she would come for, a month at a time, two, two, wow. two a month. This year, probably not so much because of COVID. Last yes, year, of actually, I had a flight booked and she was going to be on her way and the season got canceled. Um, so she's been here and she loves it. And actually my dad, who had never been anywhere besides Mexico, came wow. to Israel to visit me twice as well. So now they live it here and they see it's normal and they feel comfortable knowing that I'm out here. So let's go off the basketball court for a moment, talking about the Jerusalem, the Nazareth. What's a, a place, I mean, connected to the athletes in action and Bible study. Here you study the word, you study scripture, and all of a sudden you're walking the places where those things happen. You know, some people say, no, that stuff cannot have happened. 
And all of a sudden, you're playing basketball in the places where those happen, right? Something that Abraham and Jesus probably wouldn't have thought of that this girl from Vegas one day was going to go back to the Holy Land and, you know, play, play, play a sport like that. Take us off the court and some interesting Israel experiences that you've had that have connected uh, you to your faith. I mean, it's just surreal. Like just going to Jerusalem, I remember for the first time and seeing the Western Wall and like Jerusalem actually kind of reminds me of just what I pictured the Bible and what I pictured Israel to be like, mm-hmm. like I but even just going to the Dead Sea, like, you know, these are all biblical things that I've read about that I never imagined that I would actually get to experience. And then just being there and knowing that Jesus was here and different, you know, biblical historical events have occurred. is just kind of like mind blowing. So mm-hmm. I got to do, you know, visit these places like 10 times over now. So maybe it's not as surreal to me as it was, you know, but I just remember first when I first got here, like, wow, this is incredible. And, you know, God has put me in a position to experience this stuff and see this stuff. And, you know, sometimes you can't even imagine it, you know. So I'm going to share my screen right now and show a quick video um, that I believe on Israel TV about your experience in Israel. And we'll talk about that in just one moment. Um, This is Chelsea Hopkins, uh, Benot Ashdod, Israeli MVP in the land of Israel. And here we go. Playing overseas is challenging, but according to Chelsea... Israel is easier than other places. Israel is amazing. I think that's why I've been here so long. It was just really cool how the transition was kind of smooth. Like, besides being really far away from home, like, everybody speaks English here. The food is really good. Um, It's kind of easy to maneuver. It's kind of like being in the States, I guess, as close as you can get to it, um, as opposed to some of these other countries like Russia and Turkey. And she's picked up some local habits along the way. When you're in Rome, do as the Romans do. So (laughs) it's not the best habit. When I got to Israel, um, picked up hookah a little bit. But practice is intense and expectations high. The Notashdod have won the championship five years in a row, but are currently behind in the standings. So I decided to give Chelsea a bit of an extra workout. I had the chance to play a one-on-one game with Chelsea. Let's say it didn't go too well. <laughs> Despite being Jewish, Ariel says it's Chelsea who helps her figure Israel out. I don't know how it was for her first season here, yeah. but seeing So take us on the court now. What is it like to play Israeli basketball with uh, Hebrew in the huddle? What does that look like? What does that feel like? <laughs> uh, well, actually, you know, my teammates get a kick out of me because I like want to speak Hebrew and like try and I say little random things and I actually have done much better actually understanding it just because I hear it so much now, but can I like have a full blown conversation? Absolutely not. But um, the great thing about here is that most of the coaches and all the players, they all speak English. Like, so you don't really have to hear Hebrew. You mostly hear Hebrew when the coaches are yelling at the Israeli players. Um, but for the most part, just being when they don't the want team, you to understand what they're saying, right? <laughs> yeah. It could be that or they just are very passionate and it's easier for them to say it in Hebrew than it is to say it in front of us. Um, you have a favorite but, Hebrew phrase or favorite Hebrew word? Um, manishma. I say that to my teammates all the time, and they just <laughs> think like it's so funny because I don't say it probably correctly. But um, and what yeah. about some uh, some Israeli culture? Favorite food or restaurant in uh, Tel Aviv? Um, okay, so my favorite restaurant is like a little street restaurant. Um, nice. It's called Miznon, um in Tel Aviv, and they have like shawarma with like different. You can get you know, like steak and eggs inside of it or like any type of meat you can possibly think of. They have these big heads of like cauliflower that you just like 
just eat with your hands and it's it's really it's like fast food but it's really cool and it's my favorite but I like falafel and shawarma nice. and shakshuka um my friends make for me all the time so all that stuff is good to me so uh, on your facebook and twitter you actually quote about god often i just want to read a couple of quotes that uh that i saw and just uh like I said, you're open about your faith and it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. It's not something that you hide and how you connect that with sports. You said, um, actually right here, sometimes we ask God to change our situation, but maybe God wants the situation to change us, right? I'm going to say that again. Sometimes we ask God to change our situation. You said before, you know, I pray for this, I pray for that. And we know that prayer is not just about asking for things because if we, if we ask God for something and God didn't give it to us, does that mean that God didn't listen to our prayers, right? But you like nail it on the head. You said, no, maybe God wants the situation to change us, right? Tell me a little bit about this and how you can understand that when you're in a difficult situation, it's our responsibility to understand that it's up to us, right? God wants us to change and not asking God to change us. Yeah, no, I love absolutely. that quote. I just think, you know, timing is everything. And, you know, just as people and being human, we want things when we want it now or we don't understand why something is happening, whether it's an injury or why I didn't stay on this WNBA team or why am I not in the WNBA anymore and I'm playing overseas. And, you know, I just had, I've had a lot of instances in my life where I've just kind of not questioned God, but just questioned like, what's going on here? Like God has to be trying to show me something because I'm upset, I'm frustrated, I'm whatever. And, you know, but sometimes you're put in these situations because God wants you to respond a certain way, or maybe he wants you to experience it because he's preparing you for something else that he has better. And that's just my mindset. Like I've, I've been injured. I've been hurt. I've been down. I've been broken. I've been, you know, full of tears and full of joy. There's been so many times where it's just been like a roller coaster. And I just have come to the realization that everything happens for a reason. Like God is, you know, testing me sometimes, you know, for something greater or for even in that moment, because he needs me to be prepared for my next situation. And that's kind of just how I approach stuff. And that's where I get these little, and I don't even know if that quote, I, don't, I doubt I made that quote up. I probably read it somewhere. <laughs> no, you said another thing. You said what you pray for. You said, every time I fell down, you lifted me back up. I pray you continue to give me peace when frustration creeps in and the strength to keep going after that. Um, at the end of uh, each book of the Bible, the Old Testament, the Torah and the Jewish tradition, we say three words. We say chazak, chazak, venit chazek. It means mm-hmm. be strong. Be strong, venit chazek, and together we will be strengthened. And it reminds me exactly what you said. There's going to be times when we're beaten down. We got meniscus tears. We got contracts broken, all that all, all that stuff. But chazak, that idea of strength, and that if we have that strength, then we will be able to uh, to keep going as well. So speaking of those next steps, um, you know, you mentioned the business degree. You mentioned salutatorian. Your academics are really important. And you understood back then that that was going to also propel you after your basketball career. What are those next steps uh, with, uh, you said, perhaps going to an MBA executive office? Yeah, so actually that's my dream. Um, I can't imagine not being immersed in basketball in some way. Like I understand like, you know, the ball has to stop bouncing at some point. You can't always be a player. Like obviously that's, you know, that's clear. But, you know, basketball has always been a huge part of my life. And, you know, it's it's done so much for me. I just want to find a way that that I can give back. And I don't really, although people tell me, like, I, they think I'd be a great coach just because I'm super passionate and fiery and always yelling and trying to motivate people. But um, I don't really see myself doing that. I, I'm more, I, I studied business and got my master's because I took interest in business. So I would love to, 
transition over to the administrative side and just, you know, work for an NBA team. That's my dream. I'm, I'm keeping my fingers crossed that Vegas gets an NBA team. So I won't have, you know, stray too far from home. But um, yeah, I, I want to work in a front office. I, I It's my dream to be a, a general manager and, you know, put a team together and, you know, deal with the salary cap and who's making what and who deserves this. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm totally into that kind of stuff. So uh, I've, I've met some pretty good people uh, throughout my career and uh, they feel like they can, you know, put me in positions to hopefully accomplish that. So that's definitely my next goal. So I want to talk about actually you being an African-American playing basketball in Israel and obviously through the NBA and even college sports this year, you know, it's not just last names on a Jersey anymore. Um, lots of people saying equality and justice and uh, just lots of different messages coming out through the sports world. What's your feeling about using sports as that avenue and if you wish platform to uh, in Hebrew, we say tikkun olam to make this world a better place. Has that translated in Israel in terms of sports and justice really uh, coming together? Um, and just would love to hear your thoughts about that. Um, well, I'd say, I don't know so much about in Israel, but, you know, I, I really um, like what I see from these players and, and, you know, the current trend, I guess, with just, you know, social justice reform and stuff and how it's been immersed with, with sports. I feel like forget just being an athlete. If you have a platform at any moment, you should be able to share what you believe and, and fight for, for what you think is right. And, you know, and I kind of like that, you know, people are, are stepping up for things that they see that they're not okay with. And, you know, other people can feel the same way and they may not be, you know, LeBron James, who's on TV all the time and having the opportunity to, you know, to make a comment. So I think it's really important and, and, and that goes back to God just putting you in positions to be able to, you know, reach other people. Like, I think if the athletes and a lot of these different things, um, you know, how, how would you get the word out otherwise? How would people that maybe don't have certain people around them and they kind of live in a bubble and, and, and don't see these different things that are happening, you know, around the world, who, who would speak to those people otherwise? So mm-hmm. I think it's really cool that, you know, these athletes are stepping up and, and, and fighting for what they believe in. And even necessarily, if you don't always, you know, like how somebody's doing it, my, my advice is just to at least try to, you know, receive the message. Mm-hmm. And I think we've seen that with, you know, Colin Kaepernick and his kneeling and a lot of people took offense to that. And, and, you know, I understand everybody, you know, feels certain ways about certain things, but the biggest thing that we can do to help each other is to listen. And if I'm telling you that this bothers me, like you should be able to respect that at the very least. So I'm very proud of what I've seen from the athletes, um, you know, in the NBA and the WNBA, who I felt like has led the charge tremendously with just a lot of these things that's been happening. Um, you don't really see it too much in Israel, um, but I, you definitely see the equality, not racial equality aspect, but just equality between women and men in sports. I mean, mm-hmm, that's, mm-hmm. you know, everywhere, like between the pay gap and just the support and, you know, you see the guys in the NBA are making, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars and here the, you know, max salary in the WNBA is, is $200,000. Wow, that's and crazy. You know, it's not necessarily, you know, that, you know, there's other factors that play into, you know, why people make money and this and that, but, you know, we just have to hear that thing, making the world a better place is just hearing people out, hearing their concerns, being open to why they feel a certain way. And, and what can we do to, to help change that or help everybody feel more comfortable and, and that's kind of what it, what it boils down to for me. So, Is there a message that you have really um, used that platform of basketball to try and get out either to the Jewish community, to the Israeli community, to the sports world? Is there something that um, you've, I haven't, you've used? I haven't really 
done anything um, personally out here. But what I will say, which I really appreciated, is just my teammates and just the Israelis that I've been around in basketball. Um, they understand. Like mm-hmm. we, I have talks, you know, with my teammates, and they're like, "Yo, why do you know? Is there school shootings in mm-hmm. in, in the states? Why, you know?" Are these officers killing these unarmed black people? Like to them, it's kind of like unheard of. Like, wow, this would never happen in Israel. An officer can't yeah. just shoot somebody. And, you know, so we have these kind of talks and like just to see how receptive and how like, you know, willing and wanting to learn about, you know, what we experience to me is what I appreciate the most. Like, hey, mm-hmm. you're never going to experience it. You may never understand, but you want to. Mm-hmm. And so I don't think there's anything that I've really particularly done here besides have conversations. But I, I definitely just respect that that they understand that there's a fight that's bigger than basketball. And, you know, we're doing other things, you know, back home that may be foreign to them, but it's necessary. And this is kind of what we have to do. So you just so. said just have conversations, but the just is the most important thing, because I think so many people don't even have conversations. Right. Yeah, um, somebody sure. says that the court is the great equalizer. And I think that's so true. I mean, there's no other way that you and I would have connected if it was besides my passion for the sport and what you do and now connection to the land of Israel. And then yeah. who knows, you know, where we can go from there. Um, to, to conclude this morning, or I guess this evening, Alila Tov in Israel, um, is there a message actually to our young people in terms of, you know, a lot of people say, and I, and I, I told this to my guest last week as well, former college basketball player. Um, every 13-year-old comes into my office before their bar mitzvah. Have you been to a bar mitzvah or a bar mitzvah yet? No, I haven't. I, oh, my gosh. Two weeks in a row. We got to invite you all to a bar mitzvah. It's, it's the best. Yeah, I, right? I mean, I would definitely be down to go. Uh, I'll, sure. I'll send you our YouTube link for uh, the bar mitzvah this week. <laughs> okay. uh, but all these kids say, you know, what do you want to do when you get older? And they all say, I want to play in the NBA. I want to be a professional basketball player, right? Um it's hard to do that. There's a very small percentage of people that actually do that. But what is the message to our young people that they can take sports and make it a positive impact in their life while not throwing out the aspect of faith that you um, continue to have? And it seems like also continues to grow within you as well. What's that message to the young people? Well, I always tell young people, like, you can do anything that you set your mind to. Um, as long as along the way you stay true to yourself, then that's your morals, your beliefs. None of that stuff has to out the window because you want to play basketball. But the biggest thing is just when you're along your journey, just understand that it's your journey. And yeah, you may have an end goal that you want to reach, but you're going to learn so many lessons along the way. You may be derailed. You may go in a different direction or something that you didn't plan. But the biggest thing is just staying with it. Like, I don't think anybody's really had a perfect story where everything happened exactly how they wanted to. So I always tell kids like, hey, if this doesn't happen, okay, something else may happen later that may be even better that you didn't expect, that you never know. But I always encourage kids like go all in on on what you feel like you want to do, what's your dream and and what you believe in. and, And it can take you such a long way. Actually, it's interesting you say that because in the Torah portion uh, this week throughout the whole world, we're reading about the splitting of the Red Sea. Have you been to a lot in the South? Yes, I have. I have been. Yeah. So when you stand in a lot, you actually see the Red Sea, right? You've probably gone, uh, what's it called? Jet skiing or whatever and or, yeah. or uh, snorkeling. You're, you're like on those tubes and you, yeah, it was really cool. Yeah. So that is the connection of all Jews around the world are going to read about the splitting of the Red Sea. And the miracle actually is not that, you know, the split, number one, 
people think that Moses put his uh, staff in the sea and it split. But actually, our tradition says that there was a, somebody, his name was Nachshon, and he was the first person that put his foot in the sea. Somebody had to do it first, right? It actually wasn't Moses. And yeah. the miracle is not that the sea split, but the miracle is that you and I are sitting here in 2021 and you're in Tel Aviv and I'm in Los Angeles, and we're still talking about that. And it's just what you said, that the journey continues, that there's always flaws, that there's always challenges. But as you said earlier, the uh, strength to pray that we will have peace when frustration creeps in and the strength to keep going after that, that is actually the miracle. I think that's the miracle that has brought us together on this uh, episode here um, as well. So we want to thank you um, for joining us on Rabbi on the Sidelines Um, next week. We are honored to have a college basketball analyst, Andy Katz, with us. Um, Andy is formerly of ESPN, now of the Big Ten Network, has done the March Madness 365, has done the brackets, as you can see on your screen, with President Barack Obama um, during his years in office. We're excited to have Andy on as well. We're also excited to continue our connection with Chelsea Hopkins, Israeli professional basketball players, and sports figures around the world. Chelsea, we want to thank you. We want to say Toda We want to wish you a Shabbat Shalom. I know also it's Tubi Shvat, the holiday of the trees. So if uh, you see some awesome trees out there in Israel, uh, give us uh, <laughs> give them our, our, our regards and blessings as well. And it's just wonderful to have you on the show this morning. Thank you so much. I'm just happy to be here. Yes, my pleasure. Rabbi on the sidelines, live from Sinai Temple, every Thursday at 10 a.m. We look forward to seeing you next week with Andy Katz. Have a great day, everybody.